Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. Um, I'm not one of those preachers that, uh, you know, thinks that Christians ought to not celebrate Halloween because it's the devil's holiday. But it felt like hell on Friday, didn't it? Uh, let's just be honest. I mean, think about how things went this last week. We have mass baptisms here. Like 53 people got baptized. It's 70 degrees like on Sunday, right? And then on Friday, the devil's holiday, it was snowing. Maybe. I'm only bringing this up because I am contractually obligated to show you my grandson's Halloween costume. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I am con- you're going to see a picture of him every week. You know this now, right? Okay, and I'm contractually obligated to show you this because my wife made that costume, so if I'm going to be a good husband, i got to tell you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're going to talk about prayer today. Cab driver and a pastor show up in line for heaven at the same time, right? There's always a line in heaven waiting to get in, you know, so many people getting in, and uh, Peter's there, and the cab driver's first, and Peter goes, hey, you're a cab driver. Uh, guy goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm in charge of housing, and I've got everything worked out. He said, you see that mansion over the hilltop over there? That's for you. The cab driver's like, score, this is awesome. And the pastor's behind him thinking, oh, this is, this is good. I mean, if cab driver, you know, and, and, and so he gets up there, and the and Peter goes, so I understand you were a pastor. And the guy goes, yeah, I, I led people to Jesus, you know. Yeah, that's what I did my whole life. Peter goes, well, that shack down there in the valley, that's, that's for you. And the pastor's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I, I've been standing here. I just saw a cab driver go through, and he got a mansion up there, and I'm a pastor. I give my life to serving you, and I get a shack in the valley. This doesn't seem right. And Peter said, well, you, you got to understand something. See, when, when you preached, people slept. When that cab driver drove, people prayed. <laughs> We're talking about prayer. We've been talking about the life on mission, and it's, it's really important as we finish up today that we talk about where we get the power. And I hope that you've been getting those text for prayer things. It's been, uh, it's been fun to be able to you know, do that. We'll do that with some more stuff along the way. We had a meeting on Wednesday, a sermon planning meeting, and uh, you know, like a bunch of staff, and, and one of those prayer texts came in, and, uh, and it, <laughs> everybody's phone went off except for one person. Awkward for him. He no longer works here, but it was really awkward. We believe in the power of prayer here, and we want you to understand it. So let me show you how prayer is going to work out, okay? Rick Warren has told us through this thing all the way through, there's only two things that you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven, right? Only two things. Sin and tell people about Jesus. I I, I challenge you to think about anything else, okay? I mean, we don't know everything we're going to do there, but the two things we know we can't do in heaven is sin and tell people about Jesus. And Rick says, so what do you think Jesus left you here to do? It's not to sin more. In case you were wondering. Some of you are like, ah. Oh. No, it's to tell people about Jesus. That's it. Okay? I mean, the good news is to share the good news. It's good news. I'm a grandpa now. Everywhere I go, I tell people I'm a grandpa now, and they, they hear the story, right? That's good news, but that's nothing compared to eternity with God. You understand this, right? That, that's why this is so important. I'm so grateful to Rick and Pastors.com for their work on this. We've got many uh, churches around the country that are doing it, and hopefully many more that are going to do it. And what we've been doing is calling them back to a very basic business principle, okay? Be good for any of you to think about, and it's Peter Drucker who says, every day you have to ask yourself, two questions. Just two questions. What business are we in and how's business? That's all we got to figure out, okay? 
what business are we in and how's business? So we've been doing this one job thing uh, where people have been sending in pictures. I have the winner today. Uh, it'll, I'll save it for last. Uh, but here's some more. I actually added a few this week because I wanted you to see them. You had one job, okay? Make sure the ATM fits uh, where I can get to it. How about this? You have one job. Evidently, the possum scraper was off that day, okay? You had one job, make sure the kids are safe. <laughs> I don't know how deep that hole is, but that's scary, isn't it? All right, you had one job. Now, I'm not in the trades, but I know enough about electricity that this seems like a bad idea, okay? You had one job, stop rust. That's your, you know, that's your, that's your goal, you failed, right? You had one job. Doesn't this seem like something your wife would do, guys? You know, oh, I can't wait for some bacon strips. Mmm, tastes like fruit. No, it's not working. You, you had one job. The job would be well done if the fortune was in the cookie, but it's not. I, I just put this one up to offend the cat people. That should say canned cat food, but I think that's funny. Okay, okay, but are you ready for it? And you, I, everybody's going to agree with me. This is the all-time winner. Guy goes into Starbucks, they, you know, orders a latte, they said, what's your name, sir? He said, Mark with a C. <laughs> Do we have a winner, ladies and gentlemen? What's, one job, okay? What's your business and how's business? That's all you gotta ask. What's our business? We're, we're in the witness business. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are in the witness business, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about that. This is the sixth week. We're finishing this up, okay? That's what we do. We're in the witness business. And we talked about how, uh, how important it is that God put us in this place. This is the population graph from the world. From the time Jesus was here and said, I want you to be my witnesses, population stayed about right here all the way through until we get to about 1950, and we live in this yellow stripe right here. So if Jesus said we were in the witness business way back here, now there's this many people. Back then there were this many people. Now there's this many people. We really need to get busy, right? Well, we've got a lot of things to do. And, and I want to tell you, if you're here, if you're listening to me, and you have not given your heart to Jesus, do it today. Don't mess around. I don't know when he's going to come back. I don't, I don't know when the end is going to be. I don't know when your end is going to be. Give your life to Jesus. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's, it's all there is to it. We're not talking about earning your way into anything here. We're talking to you about giving your life to Jesus. It's that simple, okay? But the problem is, that's, we're in the witness business. How's business? That was Drucker's question, right? How's business? Well, in that yellow stripe, in our lifetime, in 1950, we used to be the country that sent out missionaries to everybody else. And now, just a few short years later, we are now the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. And by that, what I mean is if you took the amount of people that don't believe in Jesus in our country, we would be the third or fourth largest mission field in the world. Now they're sending, I've told this story before, but I gotta say it again. My buddy was on a plane to Dallas from Chicago with 50 South Korean kids who, had, who were going to Dallas on a mission trip. I mean, that almost offends me, doesn't it? You know, it's like, what do you, wait, wait, you're coming back over here? South Korea it, it has become very, very Christian because we sent missionaries over there. And what happened? While we've been sitting around not doing our job, they're starting to come back over here. 
We've talked about this scripture a lot along the way. Jesus went through the towns and villages proclaiming the synagogues, uh, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is the key. That's splachna. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Again, if the harvest was plentiful back in Jesus' day, what do you think it is now? So what do you think he said next? What do you think he said next? Because if, 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 if I get this, if I get the world population graph, if I get that our business is not going very well, if I get all this, I'm expecting Jesus' next words to be, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now let's get out there. You know what he says next? Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, of course, they may be you. You, you know, you're probably praying about you. But, but, but this is a really, this is the important finish up principle. Probably would have been good at the beginning and the middle and the end. The power comes from prayer. Right before Jesus tells them they're going to be witnesses, here's what he says. Don't go anywhere yet. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. And then you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You've got to get the power somewhere, okay? What happened to the early church? They got the power, they waited for the power, and they changed the world. The mission is not going to happen in our power, okay? We need some help. Watch this. Hey, I'm here at the Route 66 Raceway driving a 68 Camaro. And you want to know why? Well, the reason is, wouldn't you? <laughs> I've got that connection to the raceway. The president goes to Parkview, and the owner of the Camaro goes to Parkview. And um, I got an illustration, okay? Uh, 68 Camaro belongs to Braden Looper, who is also one of our members, 12 years in the big leagues pitching. Those of you who are Cub fans will remember him as the closer in the unfortunate 2003 season. He was the closer for the other guys, the Marlins. Um, those of you who are Cardinal fans will know the name Braden Looper. He pitched for three years and won a World Series with them. When he won the World Series in 06, he decided to treat himself because they get a little extra bonus for winning the World Series. And he talked his buddy Jason Isringhausen into selling him the 68 Camaro. It is uh, 500 horsepower, but that's not the point. I mean, it's an awesome, you know, one-of-a-kind vehicle. Point for me is it's also got nitrous. Um, kind of little Dukes of Hazard, you know, in case he ever needs to run moonshine, he's, he's ready to go, right? Um, here, here's what I'm thinking. In, in, in our last week, we're talking about prayer. This is about the power of God. This is about bringing God into the mission that we have. That's what's so important. And Jesus said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We know this. We've been talking about this for weeks. But then he said, wait for the power. Don't go in your own power. Go in my power. And so the nitrous is like, it's like going with the power. So here we go. Keep going, man. <laughs> it's a stretch of an illustration, but man, it was fun, huh? 
Who doesn't want to do that? You know what I'm saying? Come on, that, that was awesome. Um, this is what I'm trying to say, okay? Mark, Mark records the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and, and he records for us a moment when Jesus hits the nitrous button, and it's really, really interesting. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed, okay? The whole town had gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons. Let me explain this day for you. Jesus had gone, and he had, you know, he had already, like, done the duking it out with the devil the 40 days. He'd gotten baptized. He'd gone out into the, into the desert and been duking it out with the devil and had his fasting time, and, and he, he turned the water into wine, and now he started to heal people. Now, you know what happens? I'm guessing if if you have the gift of healing and you're able to heal somebody, they're going to go home and they're going to tell all their friends, right? And all their demon possessed, you know, demon possessed person when they, you know, they get exercise, they're going to go back and go, hey, guess what? I'm I'm all clean. Who did that? Jesus did. So everybody's clamoring around Jesus. He arrives in this town, and I think this is really important for you to understand because most of you grew up Catholic. This just might throw you a little bit. But the reason that Jesus goes to this town is to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Okay, if Peter had a mother-in-law, that meant Peter was. Married, because nobody has a mother-in-law just for fun. Okay. So, so, can I get an amen? I mean, I, I, so, 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 so he, he's there, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and he starts healing people, and everybody starts coming over. They're like cramming in the door. Everybody wants to be around Jesus because he's got these supernatural powers, right? And so finally he gets to bed at some probably ungodly hour. They, they kick everybody out, and he goes to bed. So then what does he do the next day? Listen, very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He hit the nitrous button. You see what I'm saying? Even the Son of God, even Jesus needed, he needed the nitrous every once in a while. As a matter of fact, his disciples saw him need the power of prayer so much. That's really fascinating. Think about this. They finally get Jesus alone at one moment, and they decide to ask him to teach them something. And what is it? Lord, teach us to, to pray. I'd be like, Lord, teach me how to make water into wine, man. That, that's awesome, right? <laughs> teach us how to, you know, cast out demons. Teach us how to walk on water. Teach us how to, you know, whatever, all those cool things. But they knew that underneath the power that Jesus had to do all those things was prayer. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to hit that button. I'm sure this moment was a big deal to Jesus. I'm sure it was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. I started the book Life on Mission by talking about, you know, Mission Impossible and, and how no agent ever goes on mission without, you know, you know, you know doesn't take the mission. No, no, nobody ever says no to the mission. But one of the things I, I haven't talked all the way through is, is if you think about all those special agent movies, all those spy movies, all those, all those you know, movies where they go on mission, there is always a time when before they get ready to go into the mission, they go to the little secret garage and they get all the cool stuff, right? You know, they get the car that can also go underwater, you know, and they, they get the, the briefcase that has a chemical warfare button on it in case they need it, right? They get the shoe phone. Come on. I mean, 
Maxwell Smart had cellular technology before anybody else on the planet. Isn't that awesome? But, but you, you, they always went and got the cool stuff before they went on mission. What Jesus is saying is, wait for the cool stuff. Wait for the power. Wait for the, wait for the, the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you go on mission. It's never going to be about you. And that should be comforting. It's never going to be about me. This church was about 150 people when Denise and I moved here 25 years ago. Um, 40-year-old church. But it had a real divisive spirit. I mean, it was, it was not in good shape. It was being held together by a church planting organization. The leadership had all, you know, left. And there were basically two groups in the church that were really arguing with each other a lot. The ones that wanted to be a little more contemporary and the ones that wanted to, you know, stay doing what they were doing. And they weren't getting along very well. And that's what we came into. And to say that the Spirit of God was blocked in this church would have been an understatement. I mean, I felt like sometimes I, sometimes I felt like when I walked into that church building, it felt like not only was the Spirit of God not there, but it almost felt like the building was possessed. It just felt like, like it was, it, there was no way we were going to get anywhere. And you know what turned things around? I think it was prayer. One of the things Denise and I used to do is, you know, she would lead worship, I would preach, but we'd go in on early, earlier on Sunday and we would get our girls and we would, you know, little tiny kids that didn't really understand anything and we would all gather around and we would pray. We would pray that God would work that day. We would pray that he would bring his spirit into the place that day. We would pray for revival. And I believe that childlike faith and I believe those prayers. I mean, we did concerts of prayer and we did big prayer events and we did fasting and we did all kinds of things along the way as, as collective people in prayer. But I think what really changed this church was the personal prayers of people who were praying for revival to happen. And there were many days I would just be burned out. I would just go in and lay on the front pew of that, of that church with its red cushions and I would lay there and I would just pray to God, God, you got to do something. Something's got to happen here. We need revival. Did he answer? I don't know. Look around. I think he did. And, and, I, and I think it's not because I'm awesome. I know it's not because I'm awesome. I'm just some dork from Oklahoma that he called in here to use. But, but we lined ourselves up with the power of God, and that's when everything changed. The late A.W. Tozer said it this way, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on. And nobody would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That's about the nitrous. That's about the power. And that's why I think we're, our witness business is not going so good. Somebody said, you got to take the people to God before you take God to the people. And I believe that's true. So let me tell you why I think prayer is important. What does prayer do for us on the mission? First thing it does is it gives us power to do the impossible, okay? Here's how the church got started when they waited for the power. The day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All fire, fire it all. Awesome! 
There's a fireball on top of their head. Okay, think about this. This is before pyrotechnics. This is, a, this is before anybody ever has seen anything like this ever happen. This is before Michael Jackson's fireball and his Pepsi ad. This is before all of these things had ever happened. I mean, you talk about spectacular. They weren't sitting back going, oh, that was really cool. They were blown away. There's a wind coming in, and there's fire coming down and sitting on top of their heads, but not burning them, not catching them on fire. And then what happens? This is really good. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. The apostles were actually preaching in a language they didn't even understand. It's the Rosetta Stone miracle, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love for, you know, something just happened and all of a sudden you could understand Spanish? I mean, I would love that. Here's why this is important to me, all right? The first two things were just signs, you know, the fire and the wind. But the speaking in another language was there so they could literally be able to communicate with people that they wouldn't have been able to communicate with otherwise. I've been thinking about that all week. You know what's cool about that? Every once in a while, somebody will tell, tell me, you know what, there, there are people in my life that I really love and I want them to know Jesus, but we just don't connect. You know, for whatever reason, they, they just, they're in a different place than me. They believe differently than me, whatever. We just don't connect. Have you ever asked God, to allow the Holy Spirit to do it for you? I mean, this same power is available for all of us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is God's mission. Paul one time, you know, just kind of laid everybody out. He said, look, quit, quit holding me up as the example. Quit worshiping Apollos. Quit worshiping all these people. I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who does all this. This is God's deal. This is how it works. I love the story. I put it in the book and the small group stuff, I think. Of, of, of Michael Jordan's highest point game ever, which was March 28th, 1990. It was right after we had moved to Chicago, you know, so we were just getting acclimated to being Bulls fans, and it was really awesome. He scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. 69 points, March 28th. What was fun for me is that I was, I'm from Oklahoma, and uh, our University of Oklahoma star uh, that year before was Stacy King, and Stacy King got drafted by the Bulls. And Stacey King was in his rookie season and played in the game that Michael Jordan scored 69 points in. He played for 17 minutes. He took four shots, missed them all, and made one of two free throws when he was fouled in the act of shooting. Okay? One point. A few, a few days, a few weeks later, I don't remember when it was, a reporter was interviewing Stacy. He said, Stacy, tell us about the NBA so far. How, you know, how is it? Tell us what your favorite memory is of the NBA right now so far. He didn't even bat an eye. He said, oh, my favorite memory is the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points in a single game. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's how I feel about my job, you know? I, I maybe, maybe make a, a free throw every once in a while, and God shows up with 69 points, and we win. Isn't that awesome? The, the word for the power here is dunamis in the Greek, which is the word we get dynamite from. It's the explosive power. Hit the button, hit the nitrous, and the explosive power. And when the Holy Spirit is unleashed upon these people, it's crazy. Peter, the guy who just denied Jesus three times, right, a few days ago, and ran off scared, he gets up and preaches a sermon, and it is so convicting that the people go, oh man, what should we do, Peter? And Peter says, you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off whom the Lord our God will call. I'm not sure that was even comforting to them to think not only could they be saved, but they could get the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they could have the fireball. They could have the tornado. They could speak in different languages. I don't think, I don't think they were ready for that. But doesn't that intrigue you? Doesn't that intrigue you that God made a promise that the children's children, which would be us, can have that same power? Francis Chan wrote a book about the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. He said, the epistles tell us of the Holy Spirit's amazing work in us and our supernatural ability to put sin to death through him and the supernatural gifts that he gives us. And if we read and believe these accounts, we would expect a great deal of the Holy Spirit. He would not be the mostly forgotten member of the Godhead whom we occasionally give a nod of recognition to, which is what he has become in most American churches. We would expect our new life with the Holy Spirit to look radically different than our old life without him. The Holy Spirit is available. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, though you are human beings, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you ask. You say, well, maybe I, I've asked before. What happened? Dwight L. Moody had a great line for that. When people ask Dwight L. Moody, how come you keep asking to be filled with the Spirit? He said, because I leak. Anybody leak in here? Because I I leak. That's why I need to go back every day and ask the Lord to fill me back up again. That's what prayer is for. It gives me the power. What happened? After they had, after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When did that happen? After. After they prayed. I can't help but mention Peter said to get baptized too. I'm still baptizing more people. I'm going to jump in the tub at the end of this service. If you haven't been baptized, that was the place to begin. That was the place to begin your journey. And some of you, you need to do that. Some of you, you know, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. You never got baptized by immersion. You should do that. No, don't. Wouldn't you want to have everything you could possibly have in connection with the move of God that happens in the book of Acts? Just go to the back of the, of the service during communion and, and I'll sign you up. I'd love to do it. What does prayer give us? Prayer, prayer gives us the power to do the impossible. It gives us the power to know the truth. Okay? Uh, I, I, this, this is really, really important to me. W way more important to me than it was even earlier this morning. Let me just tell you. But the counselor, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my, in my name. Here's two things the Holy Spirit will do for us. He will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Does that sound good to you old people that forget stuff like me all the time? I mean, you know, like the Holy Spirit could be my iPhone calendar reminder. The Holy Spirit could teach me stuff and remind me of stuff. Because as I get older, I I'm, I'm more and more relate to the two old guys that were talking about, you know, their, their favorite restaurant one day. And the one guy was trying to explain it to his other friend. And he's like, I can't remember the name of it. And he said, he, he said finally, he said, what's the name of that, that flower? It's got beautiful petals and thorns and it smells nice. And the other guy goes, Rose? And the first guy goes, yeah, that's it. Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we like so much? I'm just, I'm just going to tell you what, what, what just happened. I, we'll probably have to put the 9 o'clock on the internet just so everybody can watch. I did communion, like I'm going to lead communion up here. And then I went around and I got in the baptistry. 
and I led communion again. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm like, this is the bread. And I, and I did this, and I noticed nobody was doing anything. And I said, did we do this already? And everybody just busted up laughing. <laughs> it's a grandpa moment number one, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you. I need help, but you know what? So do you. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the things. And I told you, when you share your story, the three most important words you can have are, I don't know. When they ask you a hard question, it's, I don't know. That, that's really all there is to it. But what if the Holy Spirit could be your supernatural cheat sheet? What if the, what if the Holy Spirit could help you to remember things that maybe you wanted to remember? Maybe the Holy Spirit could speak through you in ways. I have this happen all the time. I have people say, man, the Lord really spoke spoke to me when you said this in your sermon, and I'm thinking, I didn't say that. Were you watching Osteen? I don't know. I don't even know where you got that. But it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit can do things without me. That's what's so great. And the same power is available for you. That's why this Bible thing here, the, the, the writer said, Peter said, prophecy never had origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that same power is available for us, Okay. Um, do the impossible, know the truth, and the power to witness. Again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You have to remember who Jesus is talking to. Okay, this is really important. These are the disciples. I don't know if you've read the Gospels. If you haven't, just trust me on this. There's not one time when Jesus says to his disciples, you guys are awesome. I love your great faith. I'm so glad that you're here with me. Never once. It's always like they never seem to get it. He always says, you of little faith, why do you doubt? How come you can't have more faith? Peter, the guy who preaches this first sermon, is the guy who just said, Jesus, I'm going to die with you if I have to, and then that night denies him three times, right? At the cross, do you know how many disciples were at the cross with Jesus? Even though Jesus had told them, had explained to them over and over again, here's how it's going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, this is how it's going to go, there was one out of 12 disciples at the cross. It was John, that was it. Where was everybody else? They were all in their little room hiding out for fear of the Jews. Sunday morning comes, the women say, hey, he's alive. They're like, whatever. Peter and John go off, hey, wait, he really is alive. Thomas, still, even after Peter and John, Thomas says, I am not going to believe it until I see the holes in his hand. Those are the people that I'm talking about that he gave the power to witness to. You see, sometimes I think people are, you know, they're like, well, I, you know, I, can, I just can't, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a disciple, I'm not an apostle, I can't do those things. Neither could they. Jesus said, when you get the power, you can. Here we are at this moment, 2.6 billion followers of Jesus on the planet, only 3,000 small tribal people groups that don't yet have the gospel. It's gone around the world many, many times. The largest religious group in the world, right? How does that happen through those guys? It doesn't. It happens through the Holy Spirit and people who let the Holy Spirit use them. Peter gets up and preaches that sermon, repent and be baptized. You know what happened? 3,000 people 
I mean, they didn't sign a card. They didn't raise their hand. They went ahead and got baptized right then, that day. By the time you get to Acts 4.4, it reports a few months later that they stopped counting the women and children and just started counting men. There were 5,000 men. That meant there were at least 20,000 people probably there just a few months in. It's crazy. And And it says that this is how it kept going. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. And scholars tell us that just a few years in, by the time we get later on after Acts chapter 8 and and persecution has broken the church up, that there may have been as many as 100,000 believers in that church in Jerusalem. Out of 200,000 people, half the town now goes to that church and believes in Jesus. In just a few short years, how does that happen? That's power and witness. It's not brilliant preaching. It's not, not men of great faith. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same power is available to us. You can't do it. Okay, this is what I wrote in the book. You may be the most charming, well-spoken, good-natured person in the room. You may have a dangerous ability, knack for manipulation. Okay? But all the best chair meals, all your visits to the hospital, all of your time spent brilliantly breaking down the gospel. I'm talking about the mission now. All of the fruits of the Spirit, these are the things that we've been talking about, right? Connecting and serving and sharing and growing. All of that in your life still will never change another human heart. It's only God that's ever going to do it. So you've got to have the power. So many power illustrations. Um, my son and daughter-in-law who had the baby live in Nashville. My son-in-law, my son-in-law and daughter, I should say, my son-in-law works for, Ash, uh, works for uh, Dave Ramsey. His name is Ash. Works for Dave Ramsey. Uh, he's the don't go into debt guy. So they bought a house, kind of. It's a crappy old house. I mean, really, really cheap, you know, crummy, bad old house. In a, in a, in a, it's got a crummy yard and it's a fixer-upper, Right? because they don't want to go into debt, and, and that's all great. But the problem is that not only are they cheap, but they are environmentally conscious, okay? So they didn't buy a, a real lawnmower. They bought one of those push lawnmowers. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like you're the motor, like grandpa is the motor, right, okay? And, and that's, how, that's how you cut the grass at their house. And, and they got this nasty crabgrass stuff growing up. And I was out two weeks ago thinking to myself, this is so dumb, I've got to buy them a lawnmower. I'm, I'm mowing over it and over it, it's not going anywhere. I finally stopped and started pulling up the crabgrass because it was better than doing this. And, and, I'm, and I'm going along, and I was just thinking about this sermon, I was thinking, you know what, they need power, Right? They need power. I'm thinking, listen, I want to take care of the government. I want to take care of the environment. You know, I really, really do. But if God didn't want me to use a gasoline mower, he wouldn't have let the dinosaurs die. Am I right or am I right? (laughs) That's how I feel when I go on mission. When I'm on my own, I feel like I just keep going over that same spot over and over and over again and and never gets anything done. But when I pray, when I hit the nitrous button, when I invite the Holy Spirit in, then things happen. What should I pray for? Paul said, pray for us that God will give us the opportunity to tell people his message. That's it. That's the one thing you pray for. God, give me the opportunity to tell people the good news because that's why I'm here. I'm supposed to be a witness. So we pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We pray for our neighbors. 
the people that we have relationships with, to have an opportunity to share the gospel. And you, and you know what will happen is when you start praying, you will start seeing opportunities. Rick Warren says it this way, prayer makes me aware. And not only does it bring God into the process, but it makes me think about those people. When I'm praying for the needs of my family, I'm aware of the needs of my family, right? And my neighbors, and that's how that whole thing works. So here's a couple of action steps in sharing the good news for you. I, I've got these in, uh, in your next steps. Two of them are in the next steps in your bulletin. And I would encourage you to fill these out and let us help you however you can along the way. There's two of them in here, and then I'm going to add one. But the first one is to do a prayer walk. What do I mean? I just mean walk around the neighborhood and pray for your neighbors. Walk around your office and pray for your, the people in the cubicles. I don't mean like walk, you know, up to their house and put your hands up and start doing weird stuff. Okay, please don't do that. I'm talking about just like, you know, walk, take a walk. It's a nice day. Go out this afternoon with your husband, your wife, your family, your kids, whoever, your friends, and just walk around the neighborhood and pray. Do you think that could make a difference? I want to tell you something. It blows my wife and I away to think about this. We've lived in the same house for 20 years exactly. We moved in about, thanks, about, about between Halloween and Thanksgiving 20 years ago into Mokina, into this neighborhood. And, and about five or six years in, we were doing a campaign as a church. And one of the things they asked us to do in this campaign was to do this prayer walk. And we'd never done it before. We went on a couple of prayer walks around our neighborhood. And when we think back about what God has done in the lives of the people in our neighborhood now, it is unbelievable. It had nothing to do with us. It had to do with him. This is the important part. The connect is get them into the backyard and connect with them or go to their backyard where it's safe, right? Serve is where we go the extra mile. We invite them into the house. Share is where we sit around the kitchen table and talk about the things that are really important. Grows when we take them into the kitchen and teach them how to make their own macaroni and cheese. And, and through this whole thing is the process of prayer, before, during, and after. It's always the first and the last thing that you ought to be doing. Dave Stone said it this way, I found that when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. So I'm better off when I invite God into my day and I say, Lord, will you lead to me to the people you want me to visit with today? Will you find someone for me to encourage? Is there someone I can pray with? Is there something that I can do on your behalf? That's your prayer. When I begin my day with prayer, it's as if he kind of dictates my decisions and directs my steps. And when I don't, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I don't get very much done. Simple. Power of prayer. Do a prayer walk. Number two, set your alarm to pray at 10.02. What is 10.02? 10.02 is, is the Luke version of pray the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers. All right, 10.02. So what I want you to do, take out your cell phone. Go ahead and do it. Take out your cell phone. While I'm talking here, you got enough time to enter it into your calendar. 10.02 every day. Just write the word pray. That's it. 10.02 a.m., p.m., I don't care. I mean, 10's a good, that's a good time. Not, you know, not very many people are going to get accidentally woken up by their phone at 10.02 in the morning, and not very many people are going to, you know, accidentally get woken up at 10.02 at night. Maybe you do it both times. And, and what I want you to do is I just want you to set that reminder, because like I said, I need these reminders. I ha I, I, I'm brain dead. I got nothing. So when the reminder goes off, <laughs> I literally have a reminder on my phone to remind me to take my Adderall which is my ADHD medicine. Because if I don't have a reminder to take it, then I'm going to forget to take it, and I'm going to spaz out the whole day. You understand this? I have to have these things, and so do you. So at 10.02, it's going to go off. It's going to go off, and I'm going to pray. 
maybe for five seconds, Lord, I just want you to send workers into the field. And if that's me, show me what it is. Show me what you want me to do. 1002. Third thing is, tell your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, whoever it is that you've got compassion for, remember this is where we're coming back to, whoever that person is, that you will pray for them. At some point, there will be an opportunity when you invite them into your yard and into the house and you have a relationship with people. At some point, they will either tell you something that you can say, hey, you know, I believe in God and, and I pray. Do you mind if I pray for you? Or you can just flat out say it. You know what? I pray. I got my alarm set, 10.02 every day. You don't have to tell them why. I, I, have, I pray every day for some things, and I believe in God. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I pray for you? I've never, ever had anybody say, I don't, I don't want you to pray for anything. I mean, the, 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 if there's a deep need in somebody's life, the staunchest atheist will go, well, it can't hurt anything. I don't believe in God, but why not? Sure. It's a perfect opportunity. You know what you're telling them when you tell somebody that you'll pray for them? And don't lie. You better do it. You better write it down and do it. Don't forget. But you know what you're telling them? You're telling them two things. Number one, I care about your pain. And number two, I believe in a good God who also cares about your pain. That's what you're telling them. I care about you, and I believe in a God who cares about you. What do you think could happen? Well, the Bible says God wants us to do, wants to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I had a guy come up last night while I was still in the tub telling me a story about somebody he invited in his life. He just invited them to church and he was blown. This guy was a complete non-believer, like kind of claimed to be an atheist. He came to this service and, and like this week to hear this thing on prayer, which I wouldn't think somebody from the outside would really, you know, want to have that much to do with. And he immediately went out and signed up in the next steps booth and said, this is awesome. I want this. Well, you know what that is? That's not that guy. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit get in. God wants to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Eye has not seen or ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man even, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Look around you. That's where, I'm at. That's where I live. I never saw this. I, I couldn't prepare for this. This is more than I could possibly have ever imagined. And that's how I want to live my life. I love the way, again, Francis Chan said it. I don't want to live my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know I couldn't be doing this in my own power. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm desperate for him to come through, that if he doesn't come through, I'm screwed. That's what I want, Chan said. We're going to commune with Jesus right now, and this is, what's, this is kind of what blows me away a little bit. We get the opportunity right now, those of us who are Christ followers, and you don't have to be from this church to commune with us. It's this sacrament that Jesus told us to do every, every time we were together. So every week we do it here. And we're going to take a piece of bread. Hopefully we're only going to do it once at this service. We're going, to, we're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to take the cup and we're going to remember his body and his blood that was, that was given, the Son of God was given to us so that we could be saved. Not by our works, not by anything that we can do, but by his gift of death on the cross. Now I got to ask you, wouldn't it be cool if your friend, if your family member, if your neighbor, wouldn't it be cool if they could do that too? Wouldn't it be cool if they knew where they were going to spend eternity? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be awesome for you to know where they were going to spend eternity? There's a story in the life of Jesus that kind of symbolizes this for me. It's about some people who were friends. 
just like I'm asking you to be. One day as Jesus was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee and the Judea and, and Jerusalem were all sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralytic, a guy who couldn't walk, on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Well, what is that? Four friends who cared enough about this guy that they wanted to take him to Jesus because they wanted him to be whole again. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles of the roof into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Do you see what that is? That's compassion for your friend. That's compa- I want my friend to be saved. I want my friend to be whole. I want my friend to be healed. And I'm going to go the extra mile to be on mission to make sure that it happens. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. What a lucky guy. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything for himself. But he had friends who could take him to Jesus. And that's the kind of friends that we're supposed to be. And not the kind of friends that just give up the very first time things don't work out the way they're supposed to. But friends who really care enough to go the extra mile. And did you notice what it says there? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. He also healed him, by the way. He got up and walked out of there. But it was their faith. Is it possible that your faith could affect someone else's eternal destiny? Yeah, it is. Not through your power, but through the Holy Spirit, through the nitrous. It is possible for you to be in heaven someday with somebody having communion with us all up there together and for them to say, thank you for cutting a hole in the roof and lowering me down in and bringing me to Jesus. We're going to commune, and and we should all, those of us who are believers, should all be very grateful for this moment. This is a key moment for us. Jesus saved us. Nothing I did gets me this. Nothing I will ever do gets me this. But maybe you don't have that assurance. I want you to pray with me right now. And then after you give thanks for that gift, will you ask God to send workers into the field? And if it's you, agree that you will go. God, I pray that you'd be with us right now as we, we do not lightly take this sacrament of the body and the blood of your son um, because you gave the greatest gift of all. And I pray that you'll be with us, Jesus, as, as we think about who you are and what you did for us on the cross. This is a key moment. And Spirit of God, we ask that you would come upon this place and empower us right now. Lord, if, if, if there are people in this room who don't know you, would you let them respond to you right now just very simply by opening up their heart to you and saying, okay, I believe. I, I help my unbelief, but I believe. I believe a little. I'm cracking the door open. Come in. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Spirit, if there are people in here who you need to convict about doing that, that very basic beginning thing that you told us to do of baptism. Let them during this communion time get up and go to the back and be ready to go so we can baptize them. And for all of us, Lord, we pray that you will not just be with our friends and that you will not just care for our friends and and serve and share and help our friends to grow, but that you will be with us 
as we are their friends, that your spirit will flow through us to them so that the miraculous supernatural power of God can come upon their life in the same way it has with us. Be with us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.